Welcome to the Athens First United Methodist Church Sermons Podcast. I'm Kayla Thomason, a member of the communications team. We hope you enjoy this weekly resource. Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church. It is so good to be with you on this first Sunday of the Advent season. We are so glad uh, that we could be here together in worship this morning, especially on this very holy day as we celebrate the beginning of this journey towards Bethlehem. We begin this journey we call the Advent season. I have to tell you that from the very first day I began at Athens First, I've been looking forward to Advent. I've been wondering what is it going to be like when it finally arrives and I've even been asking people what what is Advent like at Athens First? I was told all about the sights of of Advent at Athens First and and I think we can all agree, it does look incredible in here. Am I right? And I've been told about the sounds of Advent at Athens first. And I think we can all agree, our choir sounded amazing this morning. Did they not? What I wasn't prepared for, however, were some of the smells of Advent at Athens first. Because when I walked into the church this morning... I was amazed to be uh, confronted with a very familiar aroma. It was the scent of Waffle House (laughs) wafting through the air. It was because of our children's Advent breakfast that we held this morning. We had something like 250 uh, folks who showed up. Waffle House was here to, um, to provide breakfast. And um, one of the kids even challenged me to preach this morning wearing this. <laughs> and I thought, it doesn't get more Advent than this. So, no, it, in all seriousness, it is great to be in worship together as we begin this holy season. Uh, this morning, we're, we're starting a brand new sermon series. It's called Christmas Interrupted. And the gist of this sermon series is basically this. If you look at the Christmas story, if you notice all of the different details and descriptions of how the birth of Jesus came about, one of the things you'll notice is that in every part of the story, there are many unexpected interruptions. Whether it was a, an angel that showed up unexpectedly at Mary's door or, or a dream that Joseph had unannounced. Whether it's this strange prophet out in the wilderness baptizing people at the Jordan or a bunch of wise men who show up from the east. There are so many different interruptions throughout the Christmas story, and in each one, not only are these interruptions bringing good news, these interruptions are in fact God. And so today we begin this series where we explore what what interruptions might we notice in our own life if if we but have the eyes to see and the ears to hear what, what areas of our life is God trying to interrupt Where is baby Jesus being born into our world right now? This morning we begin with a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. And we're actually going to do something a little bit different this morning because uh, during the season of Advent, during our Gospel readings, 
uh, we're going to not only stand for the gospel reading, but we also have a special response that we will be singing, and it will be led by our, our choir this morning, and then uh, we'll jump in uh, with our alleluias as a response. So if you would, please stand for the reading of the gospel this morning from Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and he said, Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words, and she pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And so the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will rule over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom, there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I'm still a virgin? But the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren, for nothing is impossible with God. Then Mary said to the angel, Here I am, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be to God. So a number of years ago, in the magazine, The Christian Century, there, there was an article that was written by a writer named Christian Kuhn. And in it, he tells a story of a children's Christmas pageant that they held at his church one year. He said, like most children's Christmas pageants, the very first thing that we did was we assigned all of the roles. So we lined all the children up in front of the stage. And one by one, we gave each of the children a role to be played. The director started by saying, all right, all right, we need some shepherds. Now, how many of you want to be a shepherd? And some of the kids raised their hand. And he said, and we need at least three wise men. How many of you want to be a wise man? More hands went up. One by one, all of the different characters were assigned. We had Joseph and the heavenly host of angels. And we had, we had the innkeeper, of course. Christian Kuhn said the very last role to be assigned was that of Mary. And the director stood in front of the children and he said, all right, uh, last one we need to find is our Mary. 
Does anyone want to be Mary? Christian Kuhn said immediately all of the hands of all of the little girls in the room immediately shot into the air and they started jumping up and down saying, me, 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 ooh, 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 me, please, 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 pick me, pick me. Christian Kuhn said it was an amazing thing to behold to see all of these little girls that were just so excited, so enthusiastic, there wasn't a single girl there that didn't want to be Mary. But then he asks an interesting question. He said, when you think back to that very first Christmas, do you think Mary wanted to be Mary? It's a good question, because on the face of it, I think most of us would assume that the answer is, well, of course she would. I mean, why wouldn't she want to be married? I mean, do you realize what this is going to do to her reputation? I mean, just think of the generations of little girls that will be named after her, or the countless schools and churches that will bear her namesake, St. Mary's. She'll be immortalized in works of art by, by Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo. Her likeness will be cast into statuettes that will be used in nativity sets and lawn ornaments from now until eternity. In other words, she will go down as one of the greatest human beings ever. And if that's not enough, she will also have one of the most exciting football plays ever named after her. Because when the clock is running down and the quarterback has to heave one final desperate heave into the end zone to see if he can help his team score, what do we call that? A Hail Mary. And thank God we didn't have to use it against Georgia Tech yesterday. Amen? But what an exciting play it is. And it was named after her. So when you think about the question, did Mary want to be Mary, I think most of us would assume the answer is, duh, yeah, of course she would be. But when you look at that story closely, one of the things you can't help but notice is the fact that when the angel Gabriel showed up at Mary's door, gave her the news that she was, in fact, pregnant, totally unannounced, totally unexpectedly. When he gave her that news, her life was radically interrupted. I mean, her entire world was flipped on its head the moment that that angel showed up with the news that she was pregnant. Because remember, Mary did not sign up for this. She didn't ask for this. She did not fill out an application saying, one day I would love to be the mother of the Son of God. Is that possibility? And to turn that in, Mm -mm 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 -mm. No, this was very much thrust upon her. This was very much unexpected. And so therefore, if Mary was asked the question, would you like to be Mary? And she said, no thanks. I'm not sure that I would blame her. Because when you consider the, the circumstances surrounding her pregnancy, you realize that how it all unfolded? Well, it certainly wasn't a Hallmark Christmas movie script. Now, one of the reasons I say that is because whenever you see how Mary gets depicted in nativity sets, 
or whenever you get a Christmas card from a friend and the Holy Family is on the front of it, whenever you look at Mary, she always looks like a very kind of mature young woman. She looks like she's in her late teens, early 20s, totally put together. She looks unfazed by all of the things happening in her life. And so therefore, one might even say that she seemed like she was expecting something like this to happen. But remember, back in the first century, back in Jesus' day, uh, most women were married around the ages of 13 or 14. That's because the age expectancy of most females back in that day was, was only about 35 years old. And so not only were women married at an early age, but they were given a tremendous amount of responsibility at a young age. Most females were considered women by the time they were middle school aged. Which means that when the angel Gabriel showed up that day at Mary's door and he shared with her the news that she was pregnant, she was probably only about 13 or 14 years old. And I don't know what you were like at 13 or 14 years old, but I can promise you one thing, I certainly wasn't ready for a baby at that age. Shoot, I'm 42, I don't know that I'm ready for a baby at this age. And I've got three of them, and they're big. So you could only imagine what that was like for Mary at that young age to receive that news. One of the other aspects of Mary's life that complicated things, that made things kind of difficult, was her marital status at the time. Because as some of you know, when, when Gabriel arrived at the time of that announcement, Mary wasn't married to Joseph. She was only engaged to Joseph. But back in the first century, that was considered a legally binding relationship. And in fact, a wedding was only a perfunctory event that kind of sealed the deal. It made it official. But what was important, according to Jewish law, it was the engagement. And so therefore, according to Jewish law, if you ever violated it, it was no small thing. In fact, there are plenty of passages of Scripture that you can flip to and you can find that the penalty for breaking off an engagement, the penalty for being unfaithful to one to whom you are engaged, was death by stoning. Now, there isn't a lot of evidence to suggest that that was widely enforced, but it certainly could have been. I mean, Joseph totally could have said, nope, that's what I want to see happen. That's what I want to bring her up on charges for. Joseph totally could have said, I want this to happen. Of course, you can only imagine what it was like for Mary to to go to Joseph and break the news to him. I mean, how how do you even begin a conversation like that? Have you ever thought about it? I mean, that's like wild to think that she like probably invited him over for coffee or maybe they went to Starbucks. And she sat him down and she's like, um... So look, baby, sweetie, honey, darling, <laughs> um, I've got to tell you something, and it's good news. I'm pregnant. And, and I know that you know that it's not yours, obviously. Um, but here's the good news. Here's the good news. Um, I'm, I'm still a virgin. Because you see, the, 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 the baby that I'm about to have... Um, It's actually God's. 
I know, I, I know that seems like a weird thing to say, and it's probably even harder to believe, but it's true. The baby in my womb is the Son of God. I can't imagine how hard that was for Mary to break that news to, to Joseph, or for Joseph to receive it. I mean, could you imagine being in his shoes and receiving that and trying to absorb that and how you would react? I mean, I don't know what you would be like, but I would think, oh, really? This is God's baby. That's the story you're going with? You had all this time to come up with a story, and that's the one we're going with? That this is God's baby, not your ex-boyfriend? Or it's not that, that guy that used to text you from Nazareth Central High School? This is God's. That's wonderful, Mary. I'm so glad to hear this news. Uh, by the way, is there a bridge in Brooklyn you'd like to sell me while we're at it? I mean, one can only imagine how hard it was for Mary and Joseph. But it wasn't just during the pregnancy. It was during the birth as well. Because when you look at the gospel accounts of how Jesus came into the world, it is kind of mind-blowing to realize how it all happened. Because as you well know, uh, Jesus was not born at Bethlehem Regional Medical Center. <laughs> he was born in a barn. And he did not have some elite medical staff that was there during the delivery. No, Mary had Joseph. And when it came down to, to lay their newborn down for his very first nap, Mary didn't have some state-of-the-art luxurious crib. She had a feeding trough. Not exactly the way you'd expect the Savior of the world to, to make his first appearance. Of course, things didn't get easier after Jesus was born. Because according to the Gospel of Matthew, as, as soon as Herod caught wind of this rumor that another king had been born, he made a decree. He said that all of the male children under the age of two should be put to death. They called it the massacre of the innocents. And so as soon as Mary and Joseph heard the threat, what did they do? They took their newborn son and they fled to Egypt where they spent the first several years of Jesus' life hiding and in fear. Again, I can't imagine that Mary thought that the first couple years of her motherhood would be spent as a fugitive and as a refugee. There were so many aspects about Mary's life that were painful and difficult and hard for us to even fathom. But beyond all of that, beyond all of that stuff that made Mary's life difficult, the most tragic and heartbreaking of them all didn't happen at the beginning of Jesus' life. It happened at the end. It's when Mary had to watch her firstborn son get nailed to a cross and die. Can you even imagine it is unthinkable, in spite of the fact that she was kind of aware that it was going to happen. Because according to the Gospel of Luke, when Mary and Joseph took Jesus at the ripe old age of 40 days old, they brought him to the temple to be presented. And it was there that they met this guy. His name was Simeon. He was a prophet. And as soon as Simeon saw the baby, he looked at Mary, he looked at Joseph, and he said, now this child 
Can I tell you about this child? This child is destined to cause the rising and the fall of many in Israel. And then he looked at Mary. He said, and this child will cause a sword to pierce your very soul. Now what was Simeon saying? Simeon was saying that one day this child will grow up and he will give his life as a ransom for many. And the heartache that you experience will be unlike any pain that you've ever felt before. Which leads us back to the question, didn't Mary want to be Mary? I think given all that she endured in her life and all of the different ways that this good news caused her to suffer over the years, I think Mary would have been totally justified if she said no. If Gabriel showed up at her door and he said, I've got some good news, here's an option, here's something that God wants you to do, and she said, you know what, I think I'll pass. I don't know that any of us should blame her. But what I want you to notice this morning is how Mary did respond. Because in spite of all of the many reasons that she could have said no, Mary did not hem or haw or come up with a list of reasons why I wish I could say yes, but I'm going to have to say no because the timing's not right. And here's why. Of all the many reasons Mary could have said no, she didn't. Mary said yes. Indeed, she looked at the angel Gabriel and she said, Here I am, the Lord's servant. May it be unto me just as you have said. In other words, in spite of all of her fears, in spite of all of her doubts, in spite of all of the many reasons she could have said no, Mary emphatically and unreservedly said yes. And maybe, just maybe, that's what the Advent season is ultimately about. That maybe the, the weeks leading up to Christmas are ultimately about us learning how we too can take a leap of faith and say yes to God? Maybe Advent is all about us learning how to say, here I am, Lord, use me according to your will. Now, I know, I know that that's not how most people think about the weeks leading up to Christmas. When most people are, are asked, how do you understand the month of December? I mean, what are your opinions about Christmas? They'll tell you about Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and they'll tell you about all the shopping they need to do and decorating they need to do and how they're going to deck the halls and they're going to put their trees up and it's going to be beautiful. There's all these many different things on our calendars and all of these things are good things, to be sure. But if the job of Advent is to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing, then I want you to understand that all this other stuff is not the main thing. For instance, I remember years ago, I was serving a church down in Atlanta, and on the Sunday before Christmas, I was asked to give the weekly children's sermon. Now, my philosophy when I give a children's sermon is I like to make it really easy for the kids and really easy for me. So therefore, when I ask a question, nine times out of ten, there's only going to be one of two answers. The answer is either Jesus or the answer is God. 
And so that morning, I was like, I'm going to make this really simple. So I invited all the kids down, and they're up in front of the chancel area. And I said, good morning, boys and girls. It's so good to see you. Are you excited that Christmas is almost here? And they all cheered. And then I said, okay, so as we get ready for Christmas then, I've got a question for you. Does anyone know whose birthday we celebrate on Christmas Day? Of course, lots of hands went up in the air, but there was one little boy who was so excited, and he just kind of jumped in front of all the others, and he shouted out loud before I could call on him. And he said, oh, 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 I know, I know. On Christmas, we celebrate the birth of Santa. (laughs) Now, of course, the congregation loved it. I mean, they thought that was the greatest answer he could have possibly given. Even I had to stifle my laughter as I gently corrected him and said, well, close, but not exactly. But, you know, in some ways, it's kind of it's emblematic of our society these days. Because for so many people, Christmas is not about the birth of Jesus. It's about all the other stuff that we tend to attach to it which is precisely why Mary's story is so important. Because what Mary's story reminds us is the fact that Advent is not about getting ready for trees and decorating and wrapping and presents. No, Advent is about us finding the courage to say yes to God. It's about us finding the faith within us to trust God enough to say, here I am, Lord. Use me according to your will. Now, I don't know. I don't know how God might use you this Advent season. I don't know what God's going to lay on any of your hearts. But I do know that years ago, there was a a pastor up in Ginghamsburg, Ohio. He was a United Methodist pastor named Mike Slaughter. And uh, Mike Slaughter is is since retired, but... um, When he was the senior pastor at Ginghamsburg United Methodist, he said, I felt like God was talking to me one year before Advent. He said, every morning when I would get up to pray, I just felt like God was putting it on my heart that God wanted to do something big, something important in and through our church. So the very first Sunday of Advent, he got up in front of the congregation And he said something to them that I always thought was kind of interesting because he said, now church, what I'm about to tell you, I know it's not new. I know it's not novel. I know that there isn't a single person in this room that doesn't know this already, but this is a profound truth, and it's something that I want you to hear from me. It's simply this. Christmas is not your birthday. Which means that if Christmas is not our birthday, and the real birthday boy is Jesus, shouldn't he be the one that gets gets gifts, not us? He said, I feel convicted that the answer is yes. So here's my challenge to you. He said, if if that's something that God lays on your heart, then I'm going to challenge you to give some, half, or even all of your Christmas budget, and I want you to give it to our Christmas mission project in the Sudan. I want you to take whatever you are planning to spend on all those many Christmas gifts, and I want you to give that amount to this special mission project that our church started years ago. 
So I want you to go home. I want you to think about it, pray about it, talk about it with your spouse or with your family. And if you feel like God is convicting you, if you feel like that's something God's putting on your heart, then on Christmas Eve, bring your gift. We'll give it to Jesus, and we'll see what happens. So that's what they did. <laughs> on Christmas Eve, that church that worshiped somewhere around 4,000 people every Sunday morning came to the Christmas Eve services, brought the gifts, put it in the offering plate, and when it was finally tallied and totaled, that church gave just over $3 million to that mission project. $3 million to feed people and clothe people and educate people and build a school and to give medicine to those who were in need. $3 million in one night. And it was all because that church had the courage and the faith to say, here I am, Lord. Use me according to your will. Now again, I don't know what God is going to lay on your heart to do this Advent season. If it's to give $3 million to our church, let me just say, I encourage that. But beyond that, whatever it may be, I don't know. But what I can tell you is this. We serve a God who is known for interrupting our lives unexpectedly. And so therefore, I have no doubt that at some point in the next four weeks, God is going to tug on your heartstrings. God is going to put something deep within your soul that you're going to say, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel like God is calling me to do this thing. So I wonder if I should do it. And I don't know what that thing would be, but what I do know is that if God is in it, in some way, shape, or form, it will change the world. So here's what I want to know. In spite of all of your fears, in spite of all of your anxieties or doubts, in spite of all of the many reasons you have to say no this Advent season, how are you going to say yes to God this Advent season? Stronger than that, how are you going to find the faith and the courage and trust to reach deep within you and to finally be able to say, here I am, Lord. Use me according to your will. Amen. Thanks for listening. To listen to more sermons, read past devotions, or look up opportunities on how to connect, visit us at AthensFirstUMC.org. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following us on Instagram or Facebook at AthensFirstUMC.org.